Okay. Hey, everybody. I'm Tanil J, and I have these lovely ladies here with me for um, a candid and real conversation um, for Deeper Dive Convo. And today's topic, we're talking about Black women's health while um, in labor and delivery, well, or the lack thereof. And what are some of the things that we can do to combat against these things? So Mika, won't you start it off and introduce yourself and tell us who you are? Sure. My name is Mika Cade and I am a mom. I have two kids. I'm also a doula and, um, and I'm also the educational coordinator for the Oakland Better Birth Foundation. And we both um, support new doulas and provide doulas um, at low and no cost for the community. All right, and Angelisa. Hello, I am Angelisa. My middle name is Janae, so I always go by Angelisa Janae with hints the AJ in the corner. Um, this year, actually it was Halloween of actually, last year, excuse me, forgot, it's like a continued year. But <laughs> anyways, just gave birth um, to my first son, first child um, during COVID, during everything going on in 2020. All right, Arisha. So my name is Arisha Ozan. Uh, I am a first time mama. My little boy just turned a year last weekend, which is so hard to believe. Um, I also am a birth worker and just a black woman birthing advocate. Uh, yeah, and that, that's some up who I am and why I'm here. All right, and Shauna? I am Krishana, and I am also a first-time mom, and this is the little one, Ugh. well, the big little one, Skylar, and she is almost five months. <laughs> and so we, so everybody's a mom, including myself, as the people who tune in know um, that I'm a mom, and my son, he is week eight. I always get the age wrong. Every time I say it on, on here, I'm like, girl, do you know how old your child is? Um, <laughs> but he'll be eight next month. So um, let's start us off. So um, Angelisa, since you are the most recent one who had um, a baby, can you mm -hmm. just speak a little bit to um, the treatment um, that you received in the hospital or some things that you think that could have been better? Um, the hospital specifically. So I, I'm going to give this disclaimer just for anyone that is watching and listening. Um, I will be as honest as humanly possible. I do work for the healthcare company in which I was receiving services. So my the, my, the things that I will say will have somewhat of a bias or something because I want to continue to keep my job, but <laughs> let's going forward. Mm -hmm. Um, so yes, so I was pregnant, uh, February 1st is when I was conceived, um, went through all of 2020, um, just outside of the hospital. Cause I, I can't really speak to the hospital because my situation was a tad bit different. I will say this, um, I had no clue what I was, what was going on. I felt like it was 1922 and you're having a baby in a sense that there's no, I mean, Google can only take you so far. You, YouTube can only take you so far. And do I really have to do that in 2020? Um, no classes there. The classes that I could get after calling 80,000 people to, and again, remember I work here no special treatment. So calling all these people, trying to get into some type of class so I would know, okay, I'm going to have this baby and then what? Because I don't, I don't know. And I'm a planner. You can't really plan pregnancy, but you, there's certain things you should know. Like, okay, what if I can't breastfeed? Okay. What does emergency C-section look like? What do I need to anticipate? Um, you know, anything like that. I, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, it took until I was maybe like nine months for um, me to actually get into a class. And that was after I had to yell at a few people. Um, the class that I was able to get into 
was, get this, a nice webinar uh, where they did not send me any of the materials for that class. So it's essentially like a really bad YouTube that I was just sitting in the middle of uh, where they played videos from like, I don't know, like the, I don't even know, like the 80s of someone pushing out a baby um, and trying to explain to me what to expect. Um, I will say that some people tried to give me a good overview in a sense that like parking and things like that, um, but that's just setting the tone um, to my actual labor. So. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't have a lot of information. Um, I was basically going into it blindly, um, other than what I've asked some of my friends and um, loved ones. So um, that being said, I'm my hospital experience was a tad bit different because I knew people. And if I didn't know people, I think I would have, I don't even know, because I did not have a clear cut labor and delivery there were a few complications um but it was because i knew a nurse that could get me in i knew um a nurse of a nurse that had a little bit of ranking so they weren't going to hand me off to someone that didn't really care i had people that you know stayed and, and did a double shift to make sure that i was okay that's not always the case um, for my particular deliver labor and delivery story, I was spent 30 hours in labor. My child was sitting on his umbilical cord. Every time I tried to contract, he stopped breathing. So his, his uh, heart rate dropped to like 50 for like a, a solid minute. So everybody's rushing in trying to make sure I'm okay. Um, but again, it was that it was it was the fact that I knew people, I think that played a role. Um, I'm not going to say in their service, the service was going to be the service regardless, but did it help that they thought that I might've been someone? Maybe, um, possibly. Uh, they definitely, once I got in there, suggested um, that I get an epidural, mainly because they did not know if they would need to rush me to an emergency C-section, in which case I, they would have to put me to sleep. Um, and I will say that it was down to the last 10 minutes before they were going to rush me to an emergency C-section when I finally was able to deliver um, vaginally. Um, I do think that they, I do think they suggested epidural to everyone. I don't know if that's good or bad. I don't know if that's for sound or quality control. Like I, I'm not sure, but it was very, very quiet on the floor, very, very cold on the floor. Um, but luckily the people that were there in my corner seemed like they cared they seemed like they wanted to do everything so that I would deliver um vaginally versus doing the actual emergency c-section that could be good or bad um in my case it just happened to work out um I will say it was just it was just a lot of holes I just really didn't know it was kind of like they I was I was in the um I was actually admitted for a very long time didn't know when I was going to ever get released sitting there with like the IV connected in my arm and no IV they're just like oh we might need to use it later so we're just gonna leave it in your arm I'm just like okay this hurts so can we take it out if I don't need it so two days later of actually being in there then they're like oh, okay we can take it out my arm like still feels funny to the touch because of that. So um, it was just a very different experience. I'm, I pushed with my actual mask on, very, very cold. You, you, no one can actually come in there. Um, it was, it was, it was a different, it was a different experience. Um, I would love to hear what some of you other ladies experience during your delivery story. And maybe I can elaborate. Can I, um, uh, ask Kashana, Shana, can you speak to what you experienced? Because um, I know that she did go through somewhat of a tough time to say the least. Um, in terms of my delivery in that process, I would say it went pretty smooth. Um, and Mika was my doula. So she was there for what, half of it throughout um, the active labor. So my water broke at night. Um, I called her immediately before calling labor and delivery, told her what I was experiencing. She um, suggested that I call labor and delivery and told me that that's what, you know, we both thought that my water had broken, 
caught them. They told me to go in. I went in. Um, it happened roughly like a little bit after 11 p.m. Um, and so we got to the hospital. Um, it was me and my boyfriend. And we got in there. They did have me sign a couple consent forms, but I got into a room quickly. Uh, they did let me know that I was going to have to be induced um, once they got me into a room. And I'm probably skipping over some parts um, in terms of like the admitting and all that because it's kind of a blur. Um, what I do remember is that the IV part that Angelisa was talking about, they did have a hard time finding a vein on my arm. And it literally took them about three attempts to find it on my arm. And it was quite annoying. Um, and it was painful because they kept having to poke me. Um, but once I got in there and settled, it was probably around three o'clock. Uh, I got my first dosage. I don't even remember what the medication was, but it was two options of medication that they were offering me to um, induce the labor. One of the options I was unable to take because I, my water had broken and um, it wasn't safe to do so. So it really was only one option that I was able to um, take. And so they gave me that around 4 a.m and then told me to get some rest because I wasn't having any contractions, which is why they told me that I would have to um, be induced. I wasn't having any big contractions um, that I could feel rather, but they could see it on the monitor. Um, and so they gave me the first dosage of medicine, said that they would give me another dosage after four hours if it was not, um, if my contractions weren't like speeding up. So they came back around eight and they hadn't given me the second dosage because the contractions were starting to pick up. Um, I kept having to go to the bathroom. So by around eight, between eight and nine, I started kind of feeling a little bit more active, more, um, more contractions, not really intense, but more contractions. They kept, the nurses kept coming in and out of the room, um, checking on me wasn't able to get any real rest. I did try and get up and walk a little bit. Um, I wanted to try and do some walking up and down the hallway. And I was able to sit on the medicine ball for a little while. Um, but after, um, I would say after about 45 minutes past eight, then um, I started dilating. And so, they didn't want to they didn't want to keep checking me to see how far I had dilated because they said it can increase the risk for infection. Um, so they only checked me once. And that first time when they checked me, I was about four centimeters, if I'm not mistaken. And so that's when I sat on the medicine ball and I was doing all those type of things. Um, and then I kept feeling like a really uh, like a real intense pressure on my rectum like I had to go um, make a bowel movement and so I kept telling them like I feel like I feel like I gotta go to the bathroom I feel like I gotta go and so they um I did get up once and I went to go and I actually did go and then I came back and I felt like I had to go again and I remember that it was a nurse that was there and I had, I've already heard stories of women telling me that, you know, that's normal if you go and have a, a poop on, um, on the table. But the nurse was like, you better not go here. We're not doing that here. And I just laughed. And so I didn't go. But it, I, I remember, like, keep asking them to be quiet in the room because it was so many people that I just wanted them to be quiet. So that way I could focus on my breathing and focus on just what I need to be focusing on. And it just seemed like it was so loud in there. Um, and so after I say about 10, 10 or 11, I kept saying like, it feels like a lot of pressure. Um, and then I remember Mika, cause she was on FaceTime 
And I remember her saying or suggesting that they check me again because she's like, if, um, if you're feeling that much pressure, then it might be time for her to push. And that's what I kept feeling like is like, I felt like I had to push and they're like, well, no, we don't want you to push yet. And I'm like, well, it's kind of happening without me really doing it. And so when they checked me again, I think I was eight centimeters or she had crowned, but yeah, I don't remember more than about three pushes and she was here. So 1209 is when she was here. So it was pretty smooth um, in terms of the delivery. I didn't have too many issues and problems with that. It was the postpartum after delivery where I ran into a lot of my problems. So I don't know if we want to yeah. pause and wait. Uh, well, we can talk about that in just a sec. I want uh, Mika and Arisha to really speak in terms of like the process and um, like Angelisa mentioned, like some holes. Um, in there so like what is nor what is the norm like which are some things that mothers to be especially black mothers to be what should we be looking for asking questions those type of things either one of you can take the floor i would um you know as a first time mom and a doula i i felt incredibly privileged to have this what felt like textbook, spiritual, um, holistic platform in which I started, right? So I've got this whole idea of birth. And then when you are 40 weeks pregnant and you're starting to feel contractions, uh, amnesia is a side effect they don't tell you about. So <laughs> it was just a whole different experience um, delivering a baby versus uh, hypothetically talking about delivering a baby or even watching another woman deliver a baby. Um, but I would say your question, what I heard you ask was what can black women do to advocate for themselves? Mm -hmm. um, there is nothing that I have come across and Mika, if you have, please speak to it, but there is nothing that I have come across that could prepare you for when that baby takes its first breath. Um, so, so that's like the aspect of motherhood. But if we're talking about birthing, right? Um, read as much as you can, um, do all the Google searches, take all the classes, all that other stuff. But I would primarily focus on the people you have around you. Um, partners are great. And because I'm working on not saying, but so partners are great and they are also having this birthing experience as well. So mm -hmm. every class that you've attended, everything that they know, all the information that they have probably went out the window with your information. So that's where your community and your tribe comes in. So get yourself a doula. If you're able to, um, afford midwifery care. I'm, I'm going to advocate for women to birth outside of hospitals, primarily if you're able to, if you have a healthy pregnancy. Um, but such an emphasis I want to place on your community. And that doesn't always mean my mom because she birthed me and my sister because she has five kids. Like those are those people are part of your tribe, but really to try to take an inventory of what you want your birthing experience to be and look at who's in alignment with those beliefs. Um, for example, you know, birth, or I'm sorry, breastfeeding. That first 24, 48, 36, 72, one year, whatever we want to call it, but those those first days are so crucial. And if you have somebody in your village who's like, you need to get that baby some Similac, that's out of alignment with what a mama may believe. So just, I think it's incredibly important to do an inventory, talk about what's true for you and surround yourself with people who believe one in your ability to birth and two who are willing to support you in your birth plan, even if it's outside of what they're comfortable with. Um, Mika, what do you have to add? Everything that Arisha said, <laughs> pretty much. Um, that was perfect. That was perfect. And something that I heard, Angelisa, when you were speaking about how hard it was to get to find like a childbirth education class beforehand, that 
that is near and dear to my heart. And it breaks my heart that that, that has happened and that that continues to happen, but especially with the, with the pandemic and in that, especially in that time, it sounds like when feels like earlier the first half of the pandemic maybe half hopefully half um that it, people were really struggling to figure out how to how to do this right how to provide childbirth education when it looked so different for so long and i think i think that is key and i think getting um and it doesn't ha it can it might be the childbirth education at your hospital it might be childbirth education outside of your hospital because your hospital is want, going to want to tell you and, and it's helpful, right, to know the procedures and what might happen at the hospital where you're giving birth, but there are also options available to you that are even available to you at your hospital, but they might not necessarily mention in their childbirth education class because it's maybe less convenient for them. Sure. Um, Can you elaborate on some of those options? Yeah. So when we're talking about like a birth plan and, and let's say what could even go on a birth plan, we're talking about something like delayed cord clamping, which most hospitals say they do. We do, we do delayed cord clamping and they leave it at that, but it means something different at actually at every hospital in the Bay area means a different thing, a different amount of time. Um, and people justify that for different reasons. But if you have a childbirth educator or a doula or an advocate outside the hospital, well, they can really talk to you about um, what that means, like why you might choose, your hospital might say delayed cord clamping is one minute, but you actually want to choose five minutes or 10 minutes or wait for the cord to be white. Um, and, and that there are, there are benefits to, the, to that, um, but it is not their protocol necessarily in the hospital. Got it. Um, so I know for, so most of the childbirth, most childbirth education, education classes are now on, you know, online because we can't meet in person and that is hard. Um, but having like a webinar of just videos is also like, we can do better than that. We can do a lot better than that. Um, and part of what I, what, we're doing through Oakland Better Birth Foundation this coming up year. And I'm really excited about, we started last year, um, but really didn't get into it till the tail end of last year's offering childbirth education class that is particularly focused um, on moms of color and particularly black moms um, and providing that education. And it's a, and we're making it available to everyone. So it's a sliding scale. And we also are offering other classes um, the nice thing about having it virtually is that we can reach more people, but um, that there's that in-person component that, you know, I think right. we all miss. So that's a huge piece. I think also, um, I, I can't um, agree more with having that whoever your group, whoever the people are that you want around you that's, that are in alignment with what you want. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that means hard conversations with family. That is good. I wish I had this conversation. I can definitely <laughs> agree with That's that. That's good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Aligned, kind of not this group of people, but aligned with your vision and your plan. Yeah. That's super big. I wasn't even offered a birth plan <laughs> and I didn't even think like I had so much, it's so much going on that I mean, I knew it was kind of out there, but did I go the extra mile and like research and try and like advocate for it? I didn't. It was just too much going on. And to be honest with you, even if I were to make a birth plan, the way that my delivery kind of happened, I wouldn't have been able to do anything um, within that birth plan. So, um, Something that you also said, Arisha, that kind of like triggered um, me to think about this. Breastfeeding. Breastfeeding was really big and it was actually something that is like a little controversial in my family, but I wish I would have done a, a little more research on it prior to having a baby or reached out and talked to someone about it because um, it was really hard. I had, my baby was um, five pounds, nine ounces, and he's fine, but him sucking, he can suck, whatever the case may be, he just did not latch, like 
what like he still won't latch and he's now uh two months um but because I was so determined to give him breast milk I'm like 100% pumping that's hard (laughs) did I research that ahead of time absolutely not did I cry a little bit as I'm having a screaming baby and I'm sitting here with like barely enough milk the first week and I'm like just pumping nothing but what is it colostrum or something like that Mm -hmm. it was terrible but um I wish I would have found someone and reached out and done a little bit more research on that just so I can mentally prepare for that journey um and then also as I was in the hospital I saw a lot of black women representation and I did not think I was going to see that because of where I delivered my nurse my delivery nurse was black my um the nurse I'm not even there's different names for the nurses but the nurse that literally waited on me and helped me deliver black the one that uh postpartum that came in to check on me had a lot of black ones there too and that does something to you um mentally it makes you feel a little bit safer a little bit more comfortable um in your experience and what she said to me was and I really appreciate it was she has three children and when she gave birth to each and every one of them she did not initially latch them on she said you know what I need a second I just sat here and you know carried a baby for nine months I need a breather and she said that she doesn't she didn't do it and then she came back a month later after she after she collected herself and her child latched and what that did for me was it just gave me a little bit of hope but it also made me feel better about my experience in that hospital to know that they have real people working there that are not afraid to tell their story and not afraid to like push the envelope and say things that normal nurses wouldn't say and that just gave me a lot of comfort nice um I just want to chime in really quick going back to the birth plan because I did have my birth plan with me which you could help me create and I did remember to take it with me to the hospital however um I don't think that they followed it in terms of um for epidural I said to not ask me don't offer it to me allow me to ask for it if I want to and I do remember them asking me at least twice it may have been three times but they kept asking me do you want epidural do you want any pain medicine and I kept saying no no I'm okay like I'll I'll let you know when I'm ready um, but I thought that, that was interesting because I'm like, I keep saying no, and you keep kind of being persistent with it. Um, so that's something that I stood my ground with. I didn't have any, um, any meds. I delivered vaginally. Um, and so because she was so small at four pounds and nine ounces, that probably is what helped me be able to push her little self out. If she had been any bigger, don't know if I would have been able to do no epidural, but um, that was something that I was proud of that I didn't have to, you know, go through any extra needle poking or any extra pain. Um, and then to chime into what you said, Angelisa, the breastfeeding. Yes, it definitely was difficult. Let me tell you the pumping even more difficult. I'm still pumping currently. Um, but because uh, there was complications with my baby, not necessarily me, but after birth, she spent two weeks in the NICU. And so that was two weeks that I didn't have to breastfeed or to practice the lashing. And so it definitely was exhausting the first two weeks um, of just pumping around the clock nonstop. And it, I'll say up until this last month is when she really just started latching on. So now we've got a good rapport with breastfeeding to where um, I'm getting real comfortable with not pumping, but she's not eating as much now because she's teething, but there is still hope with her turning five months. Like we are able to not have to get up in the middle of the night for those bottles. I can just put her on. And so keep trying. Um, even if you try in once a day, a couple times a day, just keep trying. Um, I've also, because I've been afraid of like my uh, supply going low, I've been drinking the teas and taking the capsules and um, what else? Eating oatmeal every day or every other day. Like I've been doing things to try and help keep that up and so far so good. So 
keep trying if that's something that you are wanting to do because it does build a stronger bond I have learned um between you and baby and so that's that gave me so much hope because (laughs) he latched for like two seconds like three days ago after I had pumped everything out so I was like oh my gosh for real so I'm gonna keep trying I tried the following day and he just like sat there and smiled at me like mom what are you doing so it's definitely a transition for them too because it's a different nipple from the bottle nipple than it is your nipple like it, yeah. we used to laugh at Skylar because she was getting so used to the bottle to where when it was time for her to latch on to me she would like kind of shake her head and she would like have the shakes because <laughs> she couldn't differentiate like you know the difference between the two but now she got it that's exciting yeah also to touch on your postpartum because um also and and ask the doula that are with us um, after Shauna speaks and tell us what happened, what she experienced um, with baby Skylar is why is the death rate so high for um, women of color? So Shauna, go ahead and tell us your experience um, after you delivered your postpartum. Um, okay, so after Skylar was born, she was born, um, some say she was born preemie, others say not. I would consider her preemie just because of her birth weight being so low, but I gave birth to her 37 weeks and five days. So just shy of two days of being considered full term. Now you health professionals might be able to correct me, but I think that she's preterm um, just cause I didn't technically hit the 38 week mark and that she had, she could have used a little bit more time to be cooking. Um, so after she was born, We stayed in the maternity ward area for two days. So she was born on a Tuesday. We came home on a Thursday. Now she had dropped down. I forgot the percentage, but she had dropped. So I guess it's normal for babies to drop down in um, in their weight for the first couple of days, but then they're supposed to gain it back within a certain amount of time. So she was doing okay in the hospital. Like she was stable and everything upon being born. She was having some issues with her temperature and her sugar um, in which they kept pricking her in her feet to check her blood sugar and um, taking her temperature every so often. Um, but while they're doing this, they are, you know, she's an infant, a newborn. So they are having her in the room uncovered uh, where, you know, any slight little change of temperature is going to change and it's cold. So I noticed that they did that a couple of times. This is thinking back afterwards, but they're doing that. Sometimes the nurses wouldn't be able to, um, get a blood sample. I know it took a nurse, I kid you not, like 20, 30 minutes to try and get a blood sample from her. And she's like crying and she's like, I don't know why I'm not able to do it. And, um, so that was that. After we got discharged, got discharged, I am told that a, what is that? Um, what is that nurse, Mika, that was supposed to come? Home health aide. Home health aide was supposed to come visit us um, the next day between 24 and 48 hours just to check up on us at home, really checking on Skylar and see how she's doing. Um, so I was looking forward to that on Friday Nobody called um, to confirm a time or anything. Nobody ended up coming on Friday. Mika came to visit me on Friday to check on me um, about the, just checking up on me for, um, I think it was breastfeeding and just to do a check. And so, um, yeah, I'm good. And so, uh, In that time, she was here maybe two hours. And in that time that she was here, Skylar had thrown up projectile vomiting. At least she counted 10 times while here in her visit. And we were just sitting down talking. Um, I was still, I was able to give her colostrum because I had pumped all this milk 
while she was in the NICU. So, or no, this is before she went to the NICU. Um, but I had colostrum. So any little bit that she was having, she was spitting it up, throwing it up, like more, she was spitting up more than she was keeping down. And so I was already like looking for the, um, the number to call the advice nurse to see like what happened to the home health and, you know, should I bring her in? But something just wasn't right because this was, she was born in August. So this was when we had our hot day still. It's like literally hot and humid and it's hot in my house. It's like probably 80 plus degrees in the house and she's cold, like ice cold to where she's not keeping her temperature. And so I caught the advice nurse while Mika was there. They suggested that I bring her in. Mika suggested the same thing. I should take her in, um, packed her up, took her in to the emergency, took her into the emergency at Kaiser um, where she was born, walked in, let the nurse know what was um, what was going on. As I'm like waiting to take her vitals or talk to a nurse, I see like a man walking around. He doesn't have a mask on. I'm like, um, are you going to tell him to put his mask on? And she's like, oh, and she tells him um, like to put his mask on. Then we go in a room where she takes her vitals. Um, Skylar doesn't have on much of any clothes. I think she has on like a onesie um, because she couldn't fit too many of her clothes. Um, I had her bundled up, but they had me undress her to take her vitals and then they put us in a room. So they took her vitals and then they put us in this room. We were literally in the room for an hour and it's cold and it's airy. Um, and I like, after a certain period of time, I'm like, okay, is someone coming in here because it is cold? You know, I let you guys know she was having temperature issues and you have us in this cold room. Like, can, can we do something about this? Um, and so somebody came in. When they came in, they immediately put her under a warmer and started taking x-rays um, of her. The x-ray technician at the time, as soon as he took the picture of the x-ray, um, he had caught up stairs to the surgeon or to someone, um, to a doctor and let them know like, this is what I just took a picture of. I just sent it to you. Something's not right. This is before I even knew. Um, but like, they were really nice. The, um, the people that helped me there, when we got upstairs to the NICU, they were like working on getting her an IV and getting her situated. Um, before you know it, it's like two in the morning. Um, we ended up staying up there the whole night, me and dad. Um, before they determined that she had a stomach obstruction and that she was gonna require surgery for it, um, which is pretty much a hole in her stomach where she can't digest her food and it just keeps coming up. Um, so that was that her levels in terms of her sugar and her temperature, those were all factors and amongst other things that had to get to surgery status like they had to prepare her to get to surgery before they were actually able to perform the surgery and so that was what happened um she was in the NICU for about a week before they actually gave her the surgery so she had the surgery about a week after being born and then she spent um the week in recovery to make sure everything went okay and she was good um I was told that this, her condition in which what she was born with is something that could have been detected and caught 20 weeks um, pregnant. So during my 20 week ultrasound, they could have figured this out. And uh, I don't know how it would have went with her being born and already knowing that this was gonna be a condition that she was gonna have. But I imagine it would have been a whole lot easier to prepare for mentally for mom and dad. Um, but it was definitely scary, definitely draining all of the emotions going on and through your mind that you can think of, especially as a first time parent, the frustrations of dealing with different nurses Although the nurses that we had for the first weekend in the NICU were awesome, I tried to help to build a steady, consistent team for her, being that she was going to be there for X amount of time. So that way I can build a rapport with them and to just have people that 
I feel comfortable with, especially with leaving her there at night when I go home to try and rest and just gather myself and come back. But they didn't really do well with that. Um, so I felt like Kaiser dropped the ball multiple times um, from the ultrasound to the emergency visit to the home health aid, um, just multiple times with me um, and with baby after being born and just the experience was not the best. So as soon as I was able to get her out of there, I, I definitely did so. So she no longer has Kaiser benefits. Um, but we did talk to the surgeon a couple of times after uh, surgery and he checked in with us and he opened the door to allow questions to be asked if we wanted to reach out to him. Um, so that was the postpartum um, aspect of it. And I never heard back from home health aid to like <laughs> say anything about, oh, you know, we're going to come on a different day or just to follow up. Nobody ever checked back in with me or anything. I'm sorry, so. wait, they never came? No, like, no. I went back to the, when I went to the ER on Friday, they were supposed to come back. When I talked to somebody and I asked like, oh, you know, what happened to the person that was supposed to come Friday? And they're like, oh, well, we have 48 hours. And because you left after a certain time on Thursday, we technically have until Sunday. I said, okay, well, Sunday came around I never heard back from anybody and the people are like you know you can make complaints and all that I'm so tired of talking about the same thing to people who are not gonna do nothing and nothing's gonna be done like it's just it's mentally draining for me to not see any outcome like yeah but no never heard back from home health nobody ever came nobody followed up or anything so can we talk about that? Can we talk about um, what happens when moms go home or after labor, the postpartum? Um, and again, like I mentioned, you know, why are the death rates so high and why are they higher than everyone else? So Arisha, do you, would you like to speak on that? Or Mika, you are... Are you on mute? Yeah. He is on mute. <laughs> yeah. I was asking Mika if she wanted to start because I started last time or I can start whatever you're comfortable with. I can start. Um, Krishana, correct me if I'm wrong, but you also called earlier in the day that, that first day you were home to say my baby's spitting up and they were like, oh, it's just normal. Like you explained how much. There is a normal amount, sure yeah more than what is considered normal and they just dismissed you yeah <laughs> and i think what and and quite honestly so it is normal for a baby to lose up to 10 percent of their body weight and the big thing of what they're checking in the hospital and why they're keeping you there to check your baby's weight at birth what your baby's weight is um you know 24 hours 48 hours after to see what that weight loss is. So yeah, and when she went back for the uh, ER visit, she had dropped down to like three pounds and mm -hmm. 10 ounces or something. She was under three pounds, I mean, under four pounds, which and was I her remember, birth weight within 48 hours. Right, and I remember when, when, I, when, we, when I met with you that day and you know I wrote down like, we wrote down the numbers and all of that. And it was more more than 10% even when you were in the hospital. So you should have, they should have never let you leave the hospital. So they, there is, um, Kaiser systematically dropped the ball on so many occasions, <laughs> so many occasions. And this is what happens. This is part of the systemic racism that happens, right? And then we hear there's a crisis, a, a infant and maternal mortality crisis with black women as though it is black women's fault. Mm -hmm. It is black women is because of the, it's right as all of this stuff is put on black women when really it's systemic racism. And we have to be really clear about that. There's 
black women have been baby, having babies since the beginning of time. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with black women, but we do live in a racist society. And so why was the ball dropped on very, um, on very basic protocols? Mm-hmm. We have to ask ourselves that, right? Also, it's important to note that infant mortality is um, included within the first year of life. So I'm glad you brought up the postpartum period too. So it's, um, so just getting back a little bit to the way that I was trained as a doula and Arisha, we met during one of our, one of my doula trainings, which was wonderful. Um, And the training is a Shafia Monroe Consulting. It's a black midwife that does this training. And the training is based in the traditional 20th century African-American midwives. 20th century African-American midwives in the South um, had, were the, the women they, they were working with, they were working with everyone, but significantly, a significant portion of that women were, extre- were in extreme poverty, dealing with extreme racism and violence. And they had better stats at keeping black women and children safe than our hospitals do now. And, and so some of those pieces we can learn from and as, as doulas and advocates and birth workers and family, we can take some of those pieces and apply it to our modern day. And one of that, and a big piece of that is, um, is that postpartum period. So, um, have, so going to see, like going to see Krishana 24 hours after, uh, where Kaiser dropped the ball with that, um, but um, I did go to see her and we could have that conversation. I could support her in that moment that was, you know, that was very intense. And, um, and then seeing each other frequently at the very beginning and then less frequently as we go along. And then still within the first year, every once in a while, checking in with each other, seeing how we're doing. I love getting, I get to get all the cute baby pictures most for the most part, but still maintaining relationships is also key to um, supporting um, all women, but especially, you know, in this case, black women and children. Well, that's part of it. There's a lot that can be said. Arisha, what'd you like to add? There, um, there is a lot that can be said and it's, it's so layered. It's not simple. Um, even the question isn't simple, right? So it's, why do black women die in childbirth? Why don't our babies live to see their first year of life? Why don't we get proper prenatal care? Why don't we have proper sex education? Why don't we have two parent households that these kids, like it, it's layered. And um, I mean, Mika, you hit the nail on the head. It, it goes back to systemic racism and white supremacy and patriarchy and, um, all of those things that have become the American Medical Association uh, Foundation, unfortunately. Um, Just a plug for the audience, there's a wonderful book called, uh, it's not a wonderful book, it's actually a awful book, but it's called Medical Apartheid. And it talks about literally how the American Medical Association was founded. And our bodies have always been experiments. And now it, I still believe that that is true. It's just done very discreetly um, or not discreetly, but we are still test subjects for things, um, including prenatal care, including birth care, including postpartum care. You know, and I I struggle as a mother, I struggle as a doula, I struggle as um, a black woman because it's like, what what is worth fighting for? Um, Because meanwhile, I gotta stay sane, right? And I gotta stay fucking grounded, excuse my language, in this um, catastrophe. And so, you know, I had, I had a unique birthing experience. I planned for a home birth and after like 52 hours of being in labor at home and my vitals were starting to decline. I'm a type one diabetic. So it was a whole um, thing with that. It was like this underground home birthing experiment. 
um, you know, my body started to respond negatively. So I did have to go to the hospital and I didn't have an awful experience, but I also have some training and I also had been in labor for 52 hours. So my body had this time to do what it needed to do. I had a team of people with me. Um, so fortunately I don't have a horror story, but had I not had a team, had I not had the training, had I not, um, if things didn't align perfectly, I don't know what my story would have been. Um, to go back to, you know, why, back to my point of what to sit with, what to focus on. If I look at my baby and I focus on how I wasn't listened to in the hospital, or if I think about my birth and I remember, um, you know, there was a moment where I'm literally telling my doctor or telling the nurse, because there were these, with no disrespect to people who choose to become doctors, um, what is it, like a medical student, basically, somebody in training, um, and I'm telling her something is wrong, and I had to say it four or five times for her to finally say, well, let me call the doctor, and the doctor comes in, and I'm crowning, literally, I'm looking at my baby's head, and, you know, if I focus on, well, why didn't I get attention the first time I said something's wrong, or the second time, or the fourth time, right, if I focus on that, um, it it can take away from the miracle that is my baby. So that's the balance. And I think that's really just the balance of being a woman of color in this country. Like there's so much glory and there's so much grit. And what do I focus on? How do I get through the day? Um, I've gone off on a tangent, so I don't even remember the question. No, so we, no, you're doing, you're, you're good. I just want to know, just like, I guess, uh, professionally or stat wise, you know, why is this happening? Do, are we like, are they just turning their heads? Like you mentioned, they're not listening, you know, until you've already said it multiple times, like, you know, beyond like, what is, I guess my question is more specifically, why is this happening? You know, um, so I think it goes like, I've thought about having a kid, but a fear of mine is just like, not making it through childbirth. Yeah. And that's a valid fear. Um, and again, it goes back to like, what do we energetically want to put our focus into, right? Because there, there are legitimate, tangible fears. And I also believe that there is legitimate, tangible miracles and divine yeah. protection and ancestral guidance and... Uh, so what do I choose to focus on, right? But one thing that I wanted to say, um, I had some wonderful nurses at Kaiser in Oakland, some wonderful nurses, people who now I'm like, wait, I didn't get her name. Like I wanted to be her friend. And, uh, you know, they're doing their job. So there is, I have the utmost respect for, um, nurses are, are very, very hard working, um, I believe probably underpaid, underappreciated, all of those things that we all sit with, right? Mm -hmm. But I say all that to say, I don't fault even a doctor. I don't fault them for what they don't know. They went to school and they got an education that was rooted in patriarchy and white supremacy. So all that they are regurgitating is an expertise in what they have been taught. So until we have fundamental changes about understanding a woman's body, understanding the spirituality of birth, understanding this indigenous power that lives within all of us, nothing will ever change. So mm -hmm. I don't look at my doctor and think, you ignored me because you're racist. You ignored me because I didn't check enough boxes on the sheet of paper that you're looking at when you come into my room, because you don't know me, you don't know what I believe, you don't know where I come from, um, and you don't know how protected I am. So you're worried about like insurance liabilities and things like that. Um, so there's a disconnect. And so as a birthing person undertaking like this whole spiritual revolution that is giving birth, I can't expect a doctor in a white coat to understand it because they've only read it in a textbook and they don't know me. Um, so I say all that to say that 
I give a little bit of grace to the medical professionals because they are experts in what they've been taught. Now, have they been taught incorrectly? Absolutely. Um, yeah, where do we where do we make the change? Um, because our, go ahead. Because I'm just listening to when you're saying like the fundamentally, you know, things have to be changed. So even if they are going off what they were taught, it's like, well, I don't common sense or compassion to see, you know, to make people, you know, um, to, to pay attention, you know, like, okay, this, this patient has asked me twice, maybe I should take a look. And, and also too, I don't have a horror story. Like, um, although my son, he wasn't, I'm a Kaiser baby, but my son, he was born, um, uh, and John Muir in, uh, Walnut Creek. And I had a, a fabulous birth. So no complaints there from the doctor and nurses, but just the things that I've read and th things that we're doing right now, this conversation, the other conversations that I've listened to and watched, um, you know, I, it's like, what is happening? Why? You know, and it is, it is a good thought to not focus on the negative and have a higher level of thought and of positivity. Um, but what is something that is tangible that mothers can kind of be on the lookout as we, as we um, get to the end of the conversation here? What are some tips that you, you guys would like to, or ladies would like to share? I just want to say this really quickly. Um, yes, there is higher level thinking, right? And there's, let, let me put all my energy and my attention and my focus into what I can achieve and what I can manifest. Um, not to discredit the harsh, cold reality of what women of color are facing when we walk into these hospitals. So let me just be clear about that. While I am uh, up here, we are down here, right? Uh, right. So I just wanted to just speak to that to be clear that I'm not by any means saying go in there with prayers and intentions like we need real factual, tangible birth plans and a birth team. And to add to that advice of getting a doula, get you a lactation consultant um, because breastfeeding. You think you're going to put the baby on the breast and they're going to feed. No, 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 no. Mika knows I reached out to her day four, like, please help me. Um, just not understanding and even just what that looks like. I don't want to get on that tangent, but um, go ahead. Mika. <laughs> well, one thing I think, so one thing we do know is that there's bias by medical professionals. Just because you have a white coat on doesn't mean that you lose who you are, everything you grew up with, your ancestors, all that. So there is a bias, there is bias in the medical care system and that bias impacts the care. And one of those, one of the, one of the biases that people have is not believing black women when they're in pain or when they tell them that something's not right. We're, we see that like statistically, that that is something there. Now, everyone's an individual, right? Like every doctor, every nurse, and I, I personally also respect their humanity and know that just because you're a nurse or just because you're a doctor, you're not same as, as your colleague even at the same hospital. I've had beautiful, wonderful, gorgeous births that People were fully respected, all this wonderful stuff at almost every hospital in the Bay Area. And I've also had really challenging births at those same hospitals. And, mm. um, and sometimes it's the dynamic of, this, of the staff members because they're human beings. And sometimes, you know, there's gonna be other reasons why too, but um, I, I, you know, do wanna mention that and that also that bias that people come in with. I think also though, like something that tangible that we can do, I love being a doula, I love my work. And I think we also really need to advocate for midwifery care and midwifery care, both in the hospital and outside the hospital. We're actually the only, one of the only countries where midwives, or midwives are, they have a license to either work in a hospital or out of a hospital. Most, in most countries they can work in either location. But midwif midwifery model of care sees birth as a physiological process. And so it's a natural, normal process that the human body goes through. And there might be challenges that arise like any physiological process. Um, and we deal with it when that happens. Whereas um, 
the obstetrics model of care is anything could go wrong at this time. And so we need to be prepared for anything that goes wrong. It's coming at it from two different angles. I think everyone deserves a midwife. Everyone deserves someone that gives them um, continuous care, that um, spends longer periods of time with them prenatally and postpartum, that talks about education and nutrition and all of those pieces. And if something comes up and you need an OB, have an OB. We need, we have great OBs and thank goodness we have great OBs in this country, but they should be doing surgery and they should be doing the, you know, the technical work that they are really good at doing and saving lives because they're good at doing that. Well, I love that. Um, well, I thank you all. Um, I will get some more information and I will drop it down below so that you guys can get information on how to either, I guess, become a doula, um, get a doula, um, and just help share the, the word. And so thank you all. You have been so great. I appreciate this. There's so many more questions I have, like money, <laughs> um, the difference <laughs> and all that stuff. And like how Arisha said she was getting on a tangent. I'm like, girl, my mind, go ahead, go for it. We Will need we a part two. Yes. Breastfeeding yes. alone. How about that? <laughs> yes. So we will do that. Um, so I'm just so grateful because it is important. So um at the end of the day, everybody's experience is not the same. Everybody won't have a horror story. And that is the good part about it. But we just still, the bigger picture is that we need to educate ourselves to spread the word. So until then, y'all, I holla. Bye. Hey Thank you. Bye. Bye.